Hi, and welcome to the C-Suite Perspective Podcast, where we talk about systems and processes. My name is Chris Gilseth, and I'm the COO of Amazatic Solutions, an agency that develops apps and custom software solutions. The mission of this podcast is to bring together experienced leaders so that we can share ideas and together elevate the industry. If you want to be a guest on our show or know somebody that's a good fit, go to go.amazatic.com forward slash apply. That is go.amazatic.com forward slash apply. Welcome everybody to a new episode of C-Suite Perspective, where we talk about systems, processes, and everything else that can help you boost your business. Today, I have the pleasure of having with me Tyler Robertson with Diesel Laptops. And I am excited to learn more about kind of your background and what you've been doing, because you just told me that you guys are in the trucking industry and you've been essentially in the trucking industry since you were a kid, you said. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, I never intended to be in this industry when I grew up, but it's one of those places I think you just kind of get involved. It gets in your blood. And in our industry, we always joke, like once you get here, it's hard to get out. It just kind of gets in your blood. So it's a, it's a great industry. (laughs) I totally see that. So tell me, I'm curious, this is a little bit different than maybe what we do normally, but what is some of the earliest memories you have from the industry? Yeah, I, so first of all, when I tell people I grew up in like a gravel pit, I literally grew up in a gravel pit. My great grandfather started a gravel pit. My grandfather built a house there. That's the house my dad bought. And that's the house I grew up in. So I grew up around dump trucks and excavators and bulldozers. I was riding on that stuff before a bicycle. A boy's dream. So huh? I, yeah, it was, it was a fun place, a dangerous place if you ask my mom, but it was a fun place to, <laughs> to grow up and everything. Uh, so yeah, I, I got to learn a lot about trucks. My my family had a mixer truck uh, ready mix operation, so I remember him driving me around in old mixer trucks and front end loaders and all these diesel powered equipment. So it, it it's been in my blood, I guess you know before I before I even knew it. Well, I I can totally see the fascination of that when you're a kid because you know looking back when my son was younger and even my daughter even just a couple of years ago, whenever the dump truck would come past through our neighborhood, they would want to go outside and watch. They were so fascinated, especially for that grabber arm that would take the, you know, the trash can and dump, dump it in. They thought that was the coolest thing on the planet. So I totally yeah. see, you know, growing up in an environment like that, that it, it got in your blood. Well, I'm 43 and I can tell you when I go to trade shows and see new equipment and new things, I still get excited. So it, it's still, <laughs> it's like being a little kid, but you get to go do these cool things. I got a conference I'm going to this week. I just got invited to one of the truck manufacturers e-mobility center, which is to do with electric trucks and get a tour of that place. So yeah, it's, it's a cool industry, a cool space. Um, it wasn't always cool, but I think it, COVID taught us anything our trucks and transportation logistics is a big, important thing. And our company yeah. supports these things. To keep running Crucial thing. Yeah. So, so growing up in a gravel pit and then kind of what, what was your journey from there and, and what led you, to start diesel laptops? Yeah, I mean, just the real quick story is I went to college like a lot of people do and I got kicked out for bad grades. I never went to school. So I had to, I had to go home, kind of tail tucked between my legs. And my dad's like, well, no problem. Our, my company goes, his company was building a building because I need some blue collar labor. And they bought a truck dealership and they needed help physically building the building. And that's how I got started because then I helped install servers and desktops and their business software and, and all these things. I just kind of kept hanging around. 
Um, and that's how I got involved in the industry. And, you know, through that, my family sold it. I stayed on with the new company. I got fired from there, went and worked for somebody else, and then ended up down in South Carolina uh, compared to where I grew up in Minnesota. And I really got paid. What I tell people is I was in my mid-30s when I started my business, and I really got paid. I got 10 years of paid training by somebody else to learn everything about this industry and see where the gaps are, and where the problems are. And once you kind of came up with the kind of like first little easy solution, it wasn't even my product. I was just bundling stuff and it just took off. People had problems and nobody was out there really wanting to solve those problems. And once you solve one problem, more doors get opened and more doors and more doors. And all of a sudden you get a pretty good thriving business that you're trying to grow and expand on. Yeah. Very cool. And so when you were doing that, because obviously some people are listening, maybe wondering like, Hey, I got some ideas and Maybe they've even presented it to their current employers and they're not interested in you know pursuing them. So how did you make that transition? Yeah. So my first customer was actually my employer because what happened is I'm working for this company. They're getting customers in there all day long saying, hey, I want tools to fix my trucks. And they didn't really have anything. Things didn't really exist in our marketplace. Things were getting electronic and emission requirements. So I started bundling up things on the side. Uh, buying something from them, buying some from other people, putting together these kits. And I'd sell the kit back to my own company and that I was working for. And they would buy and resell it and sell it to their customers. And they, they, they liked that because they're making money. Well, until the owner of the company thought, hey, that's kind of a bad thing because now you're creating a product that means people don't have to come to us anymore. They can now do it themselves. <laughs> we don't like you doing this, which I totally get. So, but it's this really weird thing where my, my you know, that's how it got started. Um, and they, they obviously didn't like, they viewed it as a threat. Um, in the meantime, I can tell you now, seven years later, some of those other of their competitors are some of my biggest customers because they want to work on things and brands they don't represent. And we allow them the ability to do that. So it's funny how someone can look at one thing and think it's a threat. And the next person, the same business looks at it and says, that's an opportunity for me. But I think that's so I, just business in general. And I think that's a very interesting point and, and one worth taking home for people because I've seen that too. I had a business partner once that I'm not sure if he's the first one that used the term, but I would coin it to him and he co called it coopetition because he believed that even if you're in the exact same market space, you are different than I. And so there are ways that we can collaborate and actually get more, both of us, we increase the size of the pie. We don't try to divide a small portion of the pie. And yeah. for those that see that, I've seen it over and over again. It works out much better than if you are scared of, of the competition. So, so here's another good example. We sell these diagnostic tools. Again, we're diesel laptops, right? So we sell these tools that hook up to earth moving equipment. And some of our customers are rental companies, right? These companies mm -hmm. have multiple locations and billions of dollars of equipment. And they buy that equipment from, from you know, call it Volvo or, or call it Caterpillar or John Deere. These names people probably know when they see these things. And it, it's funny because some of those, those manufacturers don't like us at all because we're providing their customers with solutions to work on their equipment, right? They, they hate us. We get, the, we get the attorney letters once in a while. Like it, it's that level. And then I have other manufacturers who approach us and say, how do we work with you diesel laptops? Because you're empowering my customer to improve their uptime. And I know if they take care of the equipment and have access to resources, they'll keep buying more product from me. So it's just, it's, again, it's odd how one company views us as a threat. Another views us as this is a great thing. They can help us sell more products. And yeah. it's that different lens you've got to constantly be looking at through to try to decide which way to go. So true. So 
yeah, I, again, I would just encourage people like look at it that way. Look at the ones that are either you're working with or that you perceive now as your competitors, or maybe that are competitors competitors in the future, and figure out ways to work together. There is more than enough for for everybody. Yeah. And yep. you know, we talk about this kind of abundance, or a lot of people talk about it like this abundant abundance mindset. And uh, a lot of times that kind of starts in terms of believing in yourself and that you can do things and that there is, you know, a market for you out there. There's, there's money out for you out there and everything, but it doesn't stop there. It does continue beyond, you know, your company and, and the people you work with as an extended um, part of that company, just like you described. So that, that was a great point. Thanks for bringing that up. Now, where are you guys at today? So you started what, seven years ago? No. Yeah, it was seven, seven years ago. Literally, I, I quit my job. I had a, I have a wife that, you know, she didn't work. She was a stay-at-home mom, a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and I was the only income. And I, I quit. And I said, I'm going to go do this thing full-time at Diesel Laptops. And that was, you know, it's like the old garage dining room table. That, that, that whole thing was where it started. And we grew it. Um, so we, can end it, we ended 2021 north of over $50 million in revenue. We have about 200 employees. And we did a bootstrapping. So we did it by, we have no debts. Um, I own the company. So it, it's, it's a really good place to be in now today. And, you know, we're really excited about the future and all the places we can go at Diesel Laptop. So yeah, it's been a seven year fun, fun journey to this point. Not always fun, but mostly fun. <laughs> well, that's still pretty impressive though, because in seven years, I mean, there's definitely companies that are still trying to get to the one or 2 million after seven years. And so Getting up to the level that you just described, I mean, what did that take? Like, how did you get there? Yeah, so I focused on two things and I said, screw it to everything else. And there's some goodness and some badness when, when you do that. But I said, you know what I'm going to focus on? Sales and marketing. That's all I care about. I'm just going to keep growing this thing and, 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 and selling stuff. And we really did. We just dumped an insane amount of money into the marketing side of it, getting our message out there and just doing things. And... Obviously, the sales went through the roof. There, there's no doubt about that. We've been on the Inc. 500 list. We've been on the Inc. 5000, one of the fastest growing companies in South Carolina consistently. That's not the problem. The, the problem is always the mess you leave in your wake when you say, forget it to everything else, right? Accounting, right. HR, culture, tech support, customer service, like production, all, all those other things. But, you know, in hindsight, I look at it. I was like, man, yeah, I, I could have kind of done everything at the same level. But I, I wouldn't have grown as fast. I wouldn't have gotten to where I where I knew I could get to and how fast I could get there. And thankfully, we've been able to find some really good talent along the way to kind of start filling in those gaps. And there's been a lot of, you know, those things that come back to bite you and bite you hard. But I, I accept that. <laughs> I say I knew that was going to happen, but I chose that path. And I think everyone's got to make their own decisions on, you know, whether what's the right path for them and their business and what they're trying to accomplish. So it's interesting that you say you chose that because I think a lot of people get there without, you know, choosing it necessarily as deliberately and, and therefore are even more surprised of the mess they need to clean up. But what were some of the things that you had not anticipated that we were like, I kind of wish I did this one earlier. Yeah. I mean, so I promised myself when I did this, I'm like, Tyler, I will never have much in receivables and I'll never carry much in inventory. I've been with other companies. I know what happens. Then you wake up one day and you got eight to 10 million tied up between the two of them and you're wondering where all your cash is, right? So, so, so those are things, you know, that we had to deal with. And, 
uh, a lot of it, like I said, wasn't good. I mean, we went almost a year without financials because we just said, screw it to the accounting system. And someone was trying their best and they were just completely overwhelmed. And we didn't know our cost of goods. We didn't know our margins. We didn't know how much of a quantity, like we, we didn't know anything. And, you know, again, we said that just knowing like, well, let's just keep growing the sales. It'll figure it out. Our cash balance is fine until one day it's not fine. And you have to go start unraveling that puzzle and, and deal with those things. So how did so, you survive during that time? Because I know companies that have done that and they went under because, you know, their, their cost of acquisition was higher than, you know, um, or, or, or even just you know, the production costs, whatever, like the total cost of things were higher than what they were selling for. And so either their investors, you know, froze their hands or, or uh, bank came to collect or whatever, you know, or they just, even if they had bootstrapped, you just kind of run out of funds and realize that, hey, we're, we're in a bad spot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I've ran diesel laptops, like I have my personal life and that's essentially no debt. So I, I would say this, I've never seen a company go bankrupt that had no debt, right? They always, they always have debt. That's why they go bankrupt. Right. So I was really careful to not grow faster than I knew we had cash coming in the company to go do things. And that gets you to a point, you know, that gets you to five, 10, 20 million. It, it gets a lot more complicated as a lot of people know, as you start doing those things and scaling up and bringing employees on and mm -hmm. bringing employees on, they got families and payroll. But, you know, we were, we were really careful not to have debt. And that really saved us because when you come to find out you got 8 million sitting there and if you do need cash, all of a sudden you can go to a bank and, and take and do a borrowing basis, borrow against it and open credit lines and, and do all those things. So yeah, we were just, we were really careful with the cash position. So, and that's very interesting because really what you're telling me there is that even though you didn't necessarily pay attention to all the details of accounting and where it goes and all these kind of things, you were very cautious of your cash cash position, and I've seen that in even a bigger in big companies where they, you know, if you really break it down, you're like you're not cash flow positive on this. So, you know, why are we still doing it this way? You know, and yeah. so that is very interesting. So you had some kind of control or or insight at least into it, and I think that is key to be able to survive and, and answers that question. So I, I still get a daily cash report from my accounting department on, you know, cash in the bank, money in transit, you know, all these things to be like, where's our cash position? And we look at that thing every day. And I, someone, someone told me once, like the difference between a small company and a bigger company is one manages off the income statement, one manages off the balance sheet. And I never quite understood what that meant until you kind of get into it and you start to realize like, man, that balance sheet is, that's actually more important than the income statement in a lot of regards. We need to, we need to make sure we have these things solid solidified and understand what's going on here inside our company. So yeah, yeah we, we still do that. And I still review every day. I get a, I get an automated email with all the sales numbers and what we sold for the previous day and gross margins and all that. And I look through, I look through every line item because I want to know like what's going on in my company. And that's the hard part when you grow, like you're, you're not talking to customers and doing these things. You're having to rely on, you know, net promoter scores and surveys and financial metrics that are always past looking, not future looking. So there, there's a lot that has to change as your company grows. Um, but well, I think it's very interesting still because, you know, even though we are our kind of primary business is software development, um, more and more we're getting into companies where we also look at kind of other aspects of because software development is not cheap. And while some companies definitely have the money to, you know, float that, um, a lot of times we find that it's beneficial to kind of look 
look at a company and what they can do to actually increase their cash position so that they have the money they need without having to go outside to find the money to, you know, continue development or whatever. And in, in that situation, it's very important for us to kind of look at, are you making money today? And, and kind of have this chart essentially that says, well, are you, this is where you need to be. If you're below this, we need to fix that. If you're above this, you're doing great. You know, no worries up here. But if it starts to dip a little bit down, what's the reason? And, and can we as a company help you guys, you know, get back up again? Because that benefits them and it benefits us because obviously if they run out of money, they have to stop stop the project, you know? And so it's, yeah. it doesn't serve anybody's yeah. interest, you know? I mean, there, there's only, I mean, you need cash to keep growing your company, right? So you either got to go take on debt to go get it. You have to go take on investors to go get it. Mm-hmm. Or you have to choose to use the profits you generate and the cash flow to go fund the growth, right? So in, in our case, we just did the, lab, the last one there. Um, yeah. I, I didn't want to give up equity. I could see where the company's going and the growth and the potential. I'm like, no, I'm not giving up something today because I know where this will be in a couple of years. Uh, but the negative with that is, is you're, you're cash poor doing that because you're spending <laughs> everything you're making as you're going, but yet you still need to pay taxes and expand and, and do all those things. So um, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people look at us kind of reckless, like, oh, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing all these things, and these things don't make money, those do. But the fact is, we can afford it because we have a big cushion and we got a big cash reserve, so we can go throw money at something and see, hey, does this does this work or does this not? So it puts us in a good position here, sitting at year seven. Uh, definitely was tough those first couple of years having to explain oh, to my wife why we had no money in why, why we had no money in the bank and we had to owe a big tax bill yet we sold twenty million dollars. Trying to explain that to family and friends can be a challenge at, at best. Yeah, no, I, I I totally get that. So, but it's good to see where you've come um, or arrived at. Well, I guess you're not fully arrived yet. You're, it sounds like you're still moving moving forward at a pretty pretty good clip here. But um, what I'm curious to to uh, kind of address here a little bit, especially in light of the podcast, you know, talking about systems and processes, is you mentioned that you you went ahead with sales and marketing, and then had to play catch up to some extent on the other side of things. So. At what point did you start doing that, and and how did you go about, you know, figure out what do I tackle first and how do I tackle it? Yeah. So, yeah. So, very good question. Uh, I guess I can answer that in a couple different ways. So, number one is, you know, we we knew we had a problem. We start looking at things. All the things start looking at things, right? As a business owner, like, hey, why why are my sales growing faster than they were? Like, what's going on? Well, you go look at your sales department and you find out something like ninety percent of the incoming phone calls went to voicemail. Well, we did right. have a system and processes and management to effectively answer the phone when it was ringing, right? Uh, you look at our tech support and we, we said, man, if that's that bad, how's tech support? Well, 99% of the phone calls of tech support went to voicemail. Like, okay, that's that's not good either, right? Like the voice box is literally like full and no one's checked it in months. So you start kind of unraveling. Those are those are some of the easy ones that you start looking at because you see, you see the you see the effect pretty clearly. Hey, our sales aren't growing. Hey, customers are really upset and sending us hate mail. Hey, we're not getting financial statements. Those are those are obvious ones. Mm-hmm. But where where it gets more difficult is as your company starts to grow. Um, and we, we kind of have like this pyramid thing we use over here. It's a tool that we use. At the very bottom of it, we tell our managers, you need to know the products and market, right? But above that, it's operational systems and culture and processes and, and all those things. And that's when we said, man, you know, what if we got better at some of these processes and some of these systems we have? 
So I can tell you right now, we've been using a CRM software here for seven years for our salespeople. And we've never looked at changing our process in seven years. And once we start looking at it, we're like, man, if we tweak a couple of things, I think we can be a lot more effective in our marketing and in our sales. And it's not spending more money or buying new things. It's just changing the way how you do them. So I always tell people at the end of the day, it's, it's a lot of people, I think, especially entrepreneurs get caught up in the day-to-day and putting out fires and doing those things. So if people are listening to this and they're just constantly running around their head cut off, putting out fires and dealing with issues, you have a problem and you need to figure out a way to stop doing that and start working on your business to prevent all those fires and things from popping up. Those are the effects that you're seeing from some underlying problem inside your business. You've got to go address those and start eliminating those. And I would completely agree. And we, we hear that a lot for like entrepreneurs to work on your business instead of in your business. Recently, I've actually found that I think that what happens a lot of times is that you, you have these initial processes like you, you had this growth, but you haven't looked at the process in seven years. And I've actually seen that the, almost the bigger the company is, the bigger the problem some of these things are because you have this inherited inertia. And there are people that are managers and, and top level executives that are definitely working more on the business than in the business, but now you're so big that you kind of have so many moving parts that it's hard to know exactly where to go and what, how to look at it. And so um, I, just because you've grown bigger, I don't think that's a place to stop looking at, you know, let's, let's look at this. This worked when we were at 10 employees or this worked when we were at 50 employees or hundred customers versus a thousand customers or whatever, you know, depending on, on the business, but does it work now? You know? So I can give an exact example of that. I, I, I've been kind of, you know, removed from our CRM process and how we dealt with things over there. Cause I've been busy on other things. Well, those things are going good. So now, you know, you shift your focus and we have some big numbers we need to meet this year. Like, well, how are we going to grow 20% this year at 25, right? Like let's mm-hmm. go look at the sales and the marketing side. And I came in this morning and I, I looked and we had 90 sales leads that came in over the weekend. And that's a pretty big number. We don't, we have a, we have a pretty long sales cycle here. And I go down the manager. I'm like, okay, you got 90 sales leads. It's 8 AM. How long is it going to take you to even get through these with your sales team that you have? And he's like, man, maybe a day and a half. And I'm like, so we're spending money on marketing, generating sales leads. And you're going to tell me it's going to take you a day and a half to even call a customer back and, and have a conversation with them. He's like, there's too many of them. We can't, we can't possibly do them all that quick. I'm like, well, you know, again, it's like peeling the onion back. Like, okay, let's talk about the process. And you find out the process is the same. It's been for three or four years and we've been measuring the wrong things. We've been measuring, uh, you know, activities and opportunities. We have been measuring how quickly we respond to a customer inquiry. And that's what we should have been responding to or measuring to begin with. So it's like that times a hundred. It's just, you constantly have to look at every aspect of your business just start looking at it and decide, man, is that working? Can we do better? Can we improve? And I, I think people often get caught in a loop too of they need to make dramatic improvements. You don't, you need to go make one and 2% improvements. You do those every week. You, you will move your company so fast. You won't even believe it. I love both of the things you're saying there. First of all, when you address the fact that, you know, you think you need to make these big changes and a lot of companies think, well, that means like I have to hire new people or buy new equipment or whatever it is. And usually you don't. It's coming back to what you just said. It's the processes. It's the little things that, you know, are, are, we, are we measuring the right things, like you said? 
Yeah, you got to know what they're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen that many, many times. Um, I, I spent a lot of years in, in sales and sales management and even opened a call center at one point, you know, and, and I would hear it from uh, people working other places all the time. Like, yeah, they were given all these numbers and, you know, as sales reps and now all these metrics to follow, but there was no understanding as to why they actually needed to do that. And, and even for the managers, like they were just pushing these, these numbers for the number's sake. And you had people that were closing more deals than anybody else, but they didn't fill the activity metrics because they worked it a different way and they worked through referrals and did really well that way. And they had more sales, which is really what so, counted. Yeah. No, it was the same way here. Same way here. Did you make 200 calls or not? You know? Yeah. So, I mean, here, here's another example. We, we, we have a website gets good amount of traffic and we never had a lot of chat for, for sales inquiries. So we put one up. And all of a sudden now our team's like, oh, this is great. We're getting another two, 300 leads a month just from the website chat. And, and everyone thinks things are great because you had zero before. Now you got a couple hundred a month, right? We did great. And then I started looking at it and I'm like, well, you know, you guys are requiring people to fill out their name and their state they're from and their email and phone before they even initiate a chat. Like, well, yeah, we need that because it goes into the CRM system and depending on what state they're in, we know who to route it to. I'm like, well, what if we just take all that off? And we just let customers just chat with us. They don't have to give any information, just have a conversation. And, you know, they, they get, I got a lot of pushback for some employees. Like, no, no, we have to have it. It's for the process and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? We took it off. We did a one-week run. You know what happened? We doubled the number of leads we got from our chat. I'm not surprised. And we just asked them after they engaged, right? Yeah. They were shocked. And a lot of people were like, man, I never would have thought that. But it goes back to look at every aspect of your business. And just try something. You don't have to make it permanent. Just go try it for a week or two. Is it better? Is it worse? Can we measure it? And if you can, great. Implement the change. If not, go back. Right. Because in your example, if it stayed the same or plummeted, then you could have just, you know, reversed that done it the other way you did before. It, yeah, it, exactly. And it, it was it was a change here with how we had to deal with things and people and processes and whatnot. But at the end of the day, now we get more sales leads. We sell more product. It, it worked. Uh, but it, it's it's difficult to change the way people do things. And, and some companies are way worse than others. Like we change stuff here all the time, but you, we still get pushback from employees. Like, oh, we did it this way before, this worked. Why are we doing that? I don't understand. And, and that's okay. I'm glad they're asking, but you need those people, especially as the CEO or in the C-suite, you got to be the one that's out there, not only coming up with the ideas, but finding a way to drive that change through your organization. It's really hard to, to be the idea guy and then tell someone else to go execute it and finger pointing happens and things don't right. get So what would you be your tip to, to anybody that's the C-level and especially of a little bit larger organization where, you know, there are more stakeholders essentially, um, what would be your tip to, to help drive that change? So I will say this. I, I think I look at it now, the, the bigger we've gotten, the easier it's got actually, because now I have project management offices. I have task force I can put together. So it gets, it gets harder. I, it's harder when you're smaller because you just don't know. Like I didn't know what, what's a project plan. I had no idea. We had 20 employees and I was been done project planning before. So I think there's a couple of key things that, that we did as a company. Uh, one, we really got focused on getting all of our managers, manager level and up to understand what it's like to be a leader. I think if most people look at their company, they would look and they'd see, man, that guy used to be great at doing a job and now he's a manager. Those are two different skill sets. You've got to give that person tools and resources to succeed. And That's through that true. part of, yeah, part of the tools you learn is how to be an effective leader. You need to understand what project management is. 
You need to understand the culture of the company and where you're trying to go. You need, you need to have some goals. Everyone in their company needs to have a goal, right? We just can't all show up to work and do the same thing. So you gotta have a strategic plan that starts in the C-suite as well. And you gotta be able to drive that down through your company. And everyone needs to march to the same beat and know this is where we're going. This is how we're gonna get there. If we all do this, we're gonna win. So let's keep marching there. So I got two questions to follow up on that one because it seems like you, you said, I mean, your people are used to change because you do it all the time. So you kind of have that somewhat built into your culture. So what if you're uh, an organization where it's more stagnant and they're not quite used to those kind of changes? I don't know if that even happens today because COVID threw everything upside down. And so everybody's gone through changes, but still, um, you know, change takes time for people both to accept and to implement. And so what would be your kind of tip? Like if, if an organization is not as used to change to get people on board? Yeah. So, I mean, it starts with the leader, right? <laughs> so I, I've worked at companies before we've wanted to do things and they always kind of like got excited and they fizzled out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and in every case, it was because the senior leadership team wasn't really behind it and the ones really pushing for it. Right. They're kind of people do stuff, but it, it wasn't just a, a thing we're all doing. And I was really concerned about that too. When we started doing things, I remember talking to the senior leadership, I'm like, okay, we're going to go spend money and bring this consultant in or this trainer or whatever. That's great. But how do I make sure this is part of our company going forward after they leave the door? And Mm -hmm. a lot of what that comes down to is your plan. (laughs) You plan, you plan, you plan, you plan. We're going to bring this person in and then we're going to meet a week later. We're going to meet every month. You know, you just set the schedule and Hey, this is, this is a thing we are now doing. This is part of our company and the way we operate as a company. And for a lot of people, it's hard to really introduce change and then keep that change of momentum going. But once you do, it's almost like magic because everybody starts to understand and gravitate and, and knows, yeah, this works. And you start talking about results and measuring things. And it, it just becomes a, a really important thing. And all of a sudden, you know what? People aren't working about putting out fires. They're working in on this new thing that's introduced in the company and they're seeing traction and positivity come out of it. And once people get a taste of that, it's really hard for them to go back to the other way. So let's talk a bit about the flip side of that, because there are certainly organizations where they feel like, Every time a new manager comes in, they have a new agenda and we were doing things that was already working and it was working well. And now this manager came in and they're changing it and it's not working anymore because that's happened sometimes too. So yeah. how do you, how would you overcome maybe what we can label as change fatigue um, in those situations? Yeah. And I, I've, I've been on that side of it before, right? So, Hey, why are we doing something? It doesn't work. I mean, what that comes down to, like at the employee level is, first of all, as a leader, as an owner, you want to make sure you have the culture where your employees feel okay speaking their mind and their opinion on things, right? Mm -hmm. You need to have that inside the company in order for change to work. And it's also okay that things don't work. We do, we do plenty of stupid stuff around here that doesn't work, but we're just quick enough to be like, yeah, that was a bad idea. Let's, let's go back or let's, let's plan B this thing or C or D or E sometimes even, right? So you can't be afraid of that. Um, but as a leader, you've got to have that culture. You've got to have that mentality. You've got to drill it down into your people that report to you and the people that report to them. And it, it's got to be an important part of your company. And it's got to be a thing that you really, everyone understands like this is important. And again, it goes back to the day-to-day stuff's going to happen. Once you get going as a company, the day-to-day business, accounting, sales, marketing, they got their things that are happening every day. That's when it gets fun. Cause now you can just start tweaking things and adding things and taking things out and really keep formulating that that perfect business environment that you have. 
And I think that's where a lot of companies get stuck is they just don't change those things. They find something that works, they get stuck there forever. Maybe, maybe it only half works. They don't care. They just get stuck in that mentality. But again, you got to start to the top. They got to push it down from the top. It's really hard to push from the bottom up. Uh, I very rarely see that work in any organization. Yeah. No, those, these are some great insights. And, and I can sense the enthusiasm in you with sharing this because I can tell you're really passionate about this in your organization too. So that's you're kind of awesome to see that, that level of energy. And thanks for bringing that to our podcast. Um, and I do think that a lot of things you shared are very uh, practical and very, uh, you know, maybe not easy in the sense of, of moving it through the system, but at least to get started, pretty easy for people to get started with and, and implementing their own businesses. So aside from anything that we talked about right now, is there anything, any other kind of practical tip that you would like to share with, with people? Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we said earlier. Like, I okay, I, I've read a lot of business books, like I'm sure a lot of your listeners have, right? And, you know, I always said this when I was, especially years ago, I was like, man, you know, how is it some guy that has a pizza shop just has one pizza shop or two and that's all they can ever grow it to and it never goes. And then you got this other guy that makes pizzas, they taste the same, but he grows it into 5,000 stores. Like what, 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 what's different here, right? And it, it's not the pizza. It's not where your, it's not where your building's located. It's not even usually how you make the pizza. It's the executives and the management and the processes and your mentality. I can guarantee you the guy that built the 5,000 stores, he was figuring out how to grow his company and grow his business and add more stores. And the other person was just stuck on, I got orders, I got to get them in the oven and I got to give them to my customers. And it's just yep. a different mentality. So you can take that in, in any business and that's really what differentiates it. It's, it's the leadership team making those conscious decisions to go grow the business and focus on that and be very strategic about it and plan for it. We say around here all the time, spend 90% of your time planning, percent do 10% of your time executing. That's the way it should be. If it's the opposite, we really screwed up something here and we got to go back to the drawing board. So I guarantee anyone listening to this, no matter what business it's in, there's market opportunity for you. You just got to be willing to go work on getting that opportunity and not just have it handed to you. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Last question. If people want to get a, get a hold of you or, or your company, how do they do that? So I am a huge believer in LinkedIn. I, I've been posting on there for about five years now. And that was my way to just explore, you know, share my journey. I needed an outlet to talk about things. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Just look up Tyler Robertson on LinkedIn or Tyler Diesel. I'll, I'll pop up all over there. Uh, the other thing, if you learn about our company, diesellaptops.com, um, we're, we're big on providing a lot of value. So if people are interested at all in our space, go to the podcast, go to the blog, you'll learn everything you want to know about commercial truck and off-highway equipment repair and how our industry works and functions and all the dysfunction that happens in our industry as well. So with all that said, I just want to say again, thank you for inviting me on the podcast and it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having, coming, and, and I, I really have enjoyed our parenting time together. And uh, for anybody that wants to uh, join as a, as a guest, um, feel free to, to reach out, and, uh, and we'll provide the link here in a minute for that. And uh, otherwise, I look forward to having you back for our next episode. This has been a pleasure, and uh, you are listening to the uh, C-Suite Perspective, where we talk about systems and processes. Thank you for listening to today's episode of C-Suite Perspective. If you would like to be a guest on our show, go to go.amazatic.com forward slash apply. That is G-O 
www.amazatic.com forward slash apply. And don't forget to hit subscribe to C-Suite Perspective Systems and Processes and leave us a review. Feel free to also share it with your friends and colleagues through your favorite social media channels. And feel free to reach out and connect via social media or go to our website, amazatic.com. That is A-M-A-Z-A-T-I-C.com. My name is Chris, and I thank you for listening to C-Suite Perspective, Systems and Processes. Thank you.